0: Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to BibleQuest.tv. We're very, very happy that you're able to join us today. Those of you that are joining us on the Zoom app, we invite you to ask questions, give your comments using the Q and A button, uh, or if you'd like to use your audio and call in a call, call in uh, using your computer uh, audio, uh, give us a call. We'd like to hear from you and address any questions and comments you want to make. If you're coming in through the I keep going back and forth between Facebook. We are on the ch- uh, YouTube channel. So if you're on the YouTube channel watching us, use the comment box there, and we'll go ahead and get those uh, comments out as well. Uh, joining us today is Stephen Rouse. Stephen, with that nice smile, good to see you smiling on this rainy Tuesday afternoon. How are you doing?
1: Doing well, Drew. How are you?
0: I'm doing very good. Thank you. Also, Jonathan is with us. Jonathan uh uh, you there, Jonathan? I see you, but I don't hear you.
2: Oh, there you yeah, are. I'm here. I'm here now.
0: Good to have you here with us. And I don't see Scott, but I'm sure Scott's there somewhere. My video is not showing everybody. How you doing, Scott? There I am. Sorry. That's nope. quite all right. All right. Good. Good to see you. Good to see you. I've
3: got to undo.
0: Yeah. Comes in handy when we do that. Let me now get my technical stuff out of the way, and we'll go here. Okay, so what are we talking about today, Scott? What's on
3: the agenda? We're talking about the forgiveness of sins for the chiefest of sinners. And so if somebody read the introductory passage for us from 1 Timothy 1, beginning there in verse 12, and then we'll start kind of going through the background of Paul's life, and looking to see what changed it and how it changed it. And uh, it's an amazing story. So let's let's start off that text.
1: I've got it here. Uh, First Timothy chapter one, we'll start in verse 12. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus, our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen.
3: Okay, so later in the program, we'll come back to this text, and I'll ask you guys to comment on some of the important thoughts in it. But let's begin with focusing on this part where he says, I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor. So, what do we know about Paul's previous life? Who was he, and what was he doing before he became a disciple?
1: Well, uh, it's kind of interesting to look at some of the things that Paul says uh, when he reviews his life um, in the various trials um, in the latter parts of the book of Acts. And um, I'm looking for the place where he talks about how he was progressing. Farther than his contemporary... Galatians 1, that particular form. All right, that would be another one. Let's look at Galatians 1 then. And, um, Galatians 1, 13. Galatians 1, verse 13, Paul writes, For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age. And I advanced it. And then it says,
3: I, in the Jews' religion, beyond many of my own countrymen, was more exe- exceedingly zealous for the traditions of my fathers. I, and we have some specifics about the type of things that he did over there in that section of Acts that you referenced, Stephen. So one of them is in Acts 22, and one's in Acts 26. Let's take a look at both of those and listen to how he describes his previous life. Somebody got Acts 22?
1: Yeah, I've got that there. Acts 22, verse 3. Um, I am a Jew born in Tarsus and Cilicia, but brought up in this city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God, as all of you are this day. Now How far do you want me to read? Uh, go ahead and
3: read uh, verse 4 and 5 also, please.
1: I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women, as the high priest and the whole council of elders can bear me witness. From them, I received letters to the brothers and I journeyed toward Damascus to take those also who were there and bring them in bonds to Jerusalem to be punished. Okay.
3: So he's saying this as he's just been seized. Uh, somebody's made the accusation that he went, took a Gentile into the temple. Uh, there was a, kind of a riot. They try to uh, he's being attacked. Romans have seized him. And as they're taking him up the stairs of the Tower Antonia, he has to speak to people, and he's letting them know who he is and what his background is. Trained by the feet
2: of Gamaliel.
3: Who was Gamaliel?
2: Gamaliel was a uh, really significant uh, Pharisee, uh, and you read about him back in Acts chapter 4, I believe, um, one of the certain things that, that he said um, whenever the apostles were kind of put on trial. Um, there's Acts chapter 5, I I apologize. In Acts chapter 5, at the end of that, um, Gamaliel is one that speaks up. He's one of the people on the council. And in Acts 5, verse 34, um, after the apostles had been uh, arrested, um, in verse 34, it says, but a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. And then he goes on um, to make a really wise statement that, if you, uh, if you want to oppose these men, that's fine, but if they're sent from God, then you're going to be fighting against God and you're not going to win. Um, so you're a well-respected they're, Jew. Oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. I was just saying he was a well-respected Jew, Pharisee.
3: Yes. So notice, not only did Paul advance beyond many of his own countrymen uh, of his age and such, he also advanced well beyond Gamaliel in persecution, at least the, the picture we have of uh, Gamaliel at the point of time of Acts 5 uh, Paul will go much much farther than Gamaliel intended to go uh, but, but he was an important Pharisee he was at one point we you know from Josephus he was the president of the Sanhedrin uh, the Jewish council Jewish senate um, and so Paul was uh, at what point we see in Gamaliel's advice here don't kill them And they end up beating them and threatening them not to preach anymore, which is pretty serious persecution enough. But there's a tipping point where the blood hits the water and you have the first death and we see Saul. Where's that at?
1: That would be in Acts chapter seven, where Stephen uh, gives his defense before the council and then he is stoned to death by the Jews there.
3: Yeah, and as he's being stoned, we get our first reference chronologically here in Acts to, to Paul. And that's in verse 58. They cast him out of the city, that is Stephen. They stoned him. Witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And then eight one Saul was consenting unto his death. And then notice, this is, this is significant. This is a real turning point. There arose on that day a great persecution against the church, which was in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout all region throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen, and verse three. Drew, go ahead.
0: I'm sorry to interrupt you. I just wanted to bring it to anyone that's watching us on the YouTube channel. There are some difficulties going on. It looks like it's working, but we're about. Five-minute delay. I don't understand how that could happen, but there's All a right. bit of a delay. I just want to let everyone know.
3: Okay. All right. Thank you, Drew. All right. So after this intense persecution starts, uh, we see Saul, who at the stoning of Stephen, played a minor role. He's watching the expensive robes here while they stone him to death. Uh, but what do you see in 8.3?
1: Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison.
3: Yeah. So, you know, picture that. Uh, and when entering the house, does it sound like he's, you know, ringing the doorbell and asking if we
1: can have a word with him? <laughs> no, he says they're getting dragged off. I mean, that, that would be really terrifying to think about that in the first century that, you know, suddenly, you know, your door is just first open and then in come these guys and, you know, Saul of Tarsus is one of them. And you're accused of being a blasphemer. Uh, you're following a false Messiah, Jesus. And on those charges, you, I don't know if they would take whole families off at the same time or the, the adults or whatever, but they are uh, dragged away, thrown into prison, sometimes executed for this.
3: And one thing I've thought about, you suppose in some of these homes there would have been children. Yes. Can you imagine being the child in that home as you watch your dad or your mom tied up and dragged off? Yeah, I can't imagine. And and to imagine Stephen as he's being stoned to death, at some point you're going to lose consciousness. But until you lose consciousness, you know, you're... You're on the receiving end of these these stones that people are throwing, and let me tell you, they're not going to pick pick, picking up pieces of gravel. I was at the Bible Museum the other day, and one of the things that really struck me was size, things that I thought would be big that were small and vice versa. So there were some bales, you know, the idol bale. So I got to see a couple of bale idols, and they were like about this big.
1: Wow. It's
3: like, oh, Oh, big. well, that's a little bit
1: like a little army man, miniature idol.
3: But then there were some sling stones uh, from the time of the Babylonians, I think. And, you know,
1: when you, when you hear
3: about David, you know, he had a sling and he defended his sheep and he goes up against Goliath. What size stone do you figure he might be throwing?
1: Yeah. like A couple of inches in diameter, maybe.
3: And so they had at the time of Babylon anyway, it was, a little smaller than a baseball, but bigger than a golf ball. They were about like uh, if you play pool, about that size rocks. You know? Yeah. And, uh, you don't want to get hit with one of those, right? Right. This is not like, ow, ooh, ow. That you know, that's annoying. Uh, and it's people trying to stone somebody to death. Um, and and Paul's standing there. And and what does Stephen say about the people? that are stoned
1: at the end of Acts 7. He says in verse 60, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep.
3: Yeah, he doesn't want them to be lost for that sin. And that is going to come true, at least for one of them, if not for more. There's one more text we want to look at on Paul's background before we move to what what changes it. Uh, It's in Acts 26. And this is, again, in a legal setting, and Paul's giving his background. And somebody read that text for us, please, in Acts chapter 26. Uh, start with verse 9 and go through verse 12. Or verse thirteen, Verse 11, 9 through 11.
1: Paul, speaking here, says, I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth, and I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in all the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme. And in raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities.
3: Just think about that for a minute. Tried to make them blaspheme. What would that have looked like?
1: I don't know if it involves some kind of torture or, or some kind of interrogation and some intense uh, action against them. Uh, you know, I mean, you, you picture you know some of the interrogation scenes where you're trying to extract information from someone or you're trying to get them, you know, force them to do something. It, it's in verse eleven. He
3: says, "punishing." Yeah, he says punishing them in the synagogues. Do you remember when Pilate? wants to not crucify Jesus, wants to just scourge him, what does he do? He says, I will punish him. That's what Pilate uses to refer to when he's got to uh, have them beaten you know, with whips. And uh, in, in Acts 22, they're going to take Paul and examine him by scourging. So I would think this would be, you know, it's, uh, I wouldn't be surprised if he's given those people the 39 lashes and trying to get them to blaspheme, Drew.
0: Well, that's what I was going to ask you. What does that mean? Get them to blaspheme? I'm, I'm assuming that would mean to get them to curse Christ or yeah, yeah.
3: Uh, like later, when there's Roman persecution, we have correspondence between the governor of Bithynia, uh, Pliny the Younger, and the Emperor Trajan, and Pliny says, you know, I will, I will give them three chances to denounce they have to curse Christ denounce him they had to worship Caesar and the gods and uh, and curse Christ and if they would do that then they were to be forgiven in fact Trajan said yes and if they'll do that you know let them be forgiven uh, and so that's what they persecutors were aiming for was to get to a camp to renounce and so Paul is, beating people trying to get them to blaspheme Jesus. Alright, so we can see here why Paul would call himself the chiefest of sinners. But he did say he did it ignorantly in unbelief. And before we go farther, the fact that he didn't know doesn't mean he's not
1: guilty. No, that's that's right. Um he does say back in Acts 23 that he's lived his whole life before God in good conscience. He thought he was doing the right thing. And here, again, in the passage we just read, he said, I thought I ought to do these things. Right. But that did not make it okay. It didn't make it right. It didn't make it pleasing to God just because he did it in, in, in ignorance.
3: And so we have the description, even though it was in ignorance, the cheapest of sinners. And what's remarkable, just a whole lot of the books in your New Testament are written by this man. The man that is Stephen is being stoned, he's watching their robes and continues to his death. The man that was going into houses, binding men and women, dragging them to prison. The man that was beating men in synagogues, trying to get them to blaspheme. The man that was voting to have disciples of Jesus put to death. So, what happened?
1: Acts chapter nine happened. Yeah. Somebody start taking us through that. So uh, Acts chapter nine, uh, this is, um, picks back up uh, from the beginning of chapter eight, where Saul had been uh, ravaging the church, entering house after house, dragged off men and women, committed them to prison. Um, And then the rest of Acts eight kind of takes this detour, uh, talking about Philip and the work that he did in the kingdom. And then it comes back at the beginning of chapter 9. So at the beginning of 9, verse 1, But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. So, so he's on a mission to get more disciples arrested, possibly killed. And that's the whole purpose of his going to Damascus in the first place.
3: And is he assigned
1: this mission or does he volunteer for it? He volunteers. He went to the high priest yeah. and asked them for these letters so that he could go to those synagogues and drag off those who follow Jesus.
3: Yeah. So it's like we have in the text we read earlier in chapter which being exceedingly mad against him, I persecuted them to foreign cities. So here you go. You're Saul of Tarsus. You hate the the, the idea, the the allegiance to Jesus of Nazareth. You believe he's a dead false prophet. You believe he got what was coming to him. And now those that are following him need to be arrested, beaten. uh, Try to get him to blaspheme if you can. Uh, Vote for him to be put to death in other cases as well, imprison people. And now you're off to go to Damascus to seize disciples there and bring them back down to Jerusalem. Something happens.
1: Verse 3, Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting him? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. This is not what Saul expected to hear. It's not what Saul wanted to hear. And this would have been probably the most terrifying moment of Saul's life. uh, He is full steam ahead against Jesus, and everybody who wants to be affiliated with Jesus is on his way to do more harm to the followers of Jesus he suddenly can't see there's this bright light and the person talking to him is Jesus. Which
3: interferes with your view that he did not rise from the dead, that he's just a dead false prophet. Cause dead false prophets can't do that.
1: Exactly. And so, I mean, I've heard it described different times. Like when you, if it's like one of us where we're Christians, if, if we were to be on our way, uh, you know, to, to do some teaching or something against, uh, Islam, for instance, uh, and suddenly there's a, you know, a bright light and we hear a voice, you know, why are you persecuting me? And we say, who is it? And it's, the voice says, I am Muhammad. <laughs> and we're like, oh, uh, I, I did not previously think Muhammad was a prophet. <laughs> and uh, that, that would be very startling and very frightening because... Uh, no, but you wanted to hear. Yeah. And so this is uh, the opposite of what Saul was expecting and wanting on that day. Um, so the men around him, they're speechless. They hear a voice, but they don't see anyone. So Saul gets off the ground. Even though his eyes are opened, he doesn't see anything. So they take him by the hand and brought him into Damascus, and for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. I think it's pretty amazing to think about that the last thing he would have seen was the face of Jesus, and that would have been what was on his mind because he can't see anything else for three days. Um, And so he's going to be praying, fasting, and uh, this turns his whole world upside down.
0: Do you think that's a very
3: heavy dose of guilt he's feeling?
1: Absolutely. Yeah.
3: And what do you suppose he might be praying? If you were Saul of Tarsus, what would you
1: be praying during these three days?
0: Lord, what do you want me to do? How do I get out of this guilt?
1: Forgive me. Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, you think about that. You know, there's times where we tell children, you know, okay, you need to take some time and think about what you've done.
3: Yeah, right.
1: And Saul gets three days to think about what he's done. Yes. Yes. All right.
3: In the meantime, what do we have next in Acts 9?
1: Well, uh, the Lord comes to a man named Ananias, who's a disciple there in Damascus. And it's kind of interesting that Ananias knew what was coming. Uh, He had heard about Saul and the letters he had gotten from the chief priests. He knew why he was coming to Damascus and the Lord tells him, I want you to go to a street called straight. Uh, there's a man from Tarsus named Saul. He's praying. And Ananias, I think understandably, I can, uh, I can, re- I can sympathize with Ananias here where he says in verse 13, Lord, I've heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. Uh, so Ananias backpedals a little bit and says, uh, Lord, like I know who this guy is. <laughs> uh, yeah, go ahead.
3: Seems like a good idea.
1: Right. And the Lord reassures him, verse 15, "Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name." And so Ananias, verse 17 to his credit, he he believes the Lord, he trusts the Lord, and so he departed and entered the house. I mean, that I would have been scared to death stepping over that threshold, you know, not knowing what's going to happen. Uh, And he goes in and he lays his hands on Saul and he says, brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized and taking food he was strengthened. So here we've got... Then, go ahead. And then,
3: now that he's baptized, where do we find him next?
1: For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus, and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying he is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who have called upon this name? And has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priests? Uh, So this is a complete change. Uh, He came to Damascus to persecute Christians, and now he's supporting the Christians and furthering the cause of Christ, proclaiming him in the synagogues.
0: And not only that that last verse there says he was confounding the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that christ that Jesus was the Christ. you talk about a major turnaround
1: and i I don't know if he I mean I don't know if he would have brandished letters and said like listen, like I came here with these letters to persecute Christians, and I saw Jesus on the road, and his life has completely changed uh, that it would have been incredible to have been in one of those synagogues and heard uh, one of those first sermons of Paul.
3: And whether he showed them the letters, they knew about him. Because look at Acts 9, uh, where they said, isn't this he that had come here for this intent that he might bring them bound before the chief priests? So it was, it was well enough known that he was coming and what he was coming
1: for. Yeah, his reputation... Drew, you were going to say something.
0: Well, his reputation definitely was preceding him.
1: Here's yes. what's amazing, though. Is, oh. If you think about the way this story could have gone, is the Lord Jesus could have showed up to Saul on the road and could have said, you know, you need to stop doing what you're doing. And, you know, I you know, you, you need to stop what you're doing. And then, you know, it could have been something like you've done too much evil for me to, you know, fully forgive you, but I'm going to like, put you on probation or something, you know, or, or say like, well, I can't use you in my service for sure. Like no one's going to trust you. And so I need you to like, just go into hiding or something. I mean, there's all sorts of ways this could have played out, but it's going to be amazing to see the extent of the forgiveness. Yeah. Given to Saul.
3: Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, it reminds me of when David wanted to build the temple. No, you're not going to build it. You are a man of war. Uh, you're not going to get to build it. Uh, but Paul, what apostle is going to do more than Paul? He's going to accomplish so much, and look who God uses to do that. Also, I want us to notice for a minute just how much of a flip this is, and and, and things that are parallel or, or maybe di- diametrically opposite. Um, so for example he had been beating people and Ananias is told I'm going to show him what he's going to suffer so is Paul going to end up being put he, he, he dragged people to prison is Paul going to be taken to prison
0: mm-hmm.
3: yeah. he beat people is Paul going to really receive 40 lashes let's say one repeatedly yes yep. yeah Uh, He opposed people, tried to stop them. Are they going to try to stop him? Yep. Yep. Stephen
0: Stephen was stoned. And does Paul get stoned? Oh, yeah. That's right.
3: Yeah. That's, That's excellent. How obvious. Yeah, we first see him when Stephen is being stoned. Later we'll see him being stoned. And so when Paul's going through some of the things that he's going through, He's able to remember what
1: what he did.
3: Yeah, yeah. Also, um, the Lord did him a great favor here by smiting him blind, and he has to find somebody to lead him about by the hand. Is that going to be repeated later?
1: Yeah, that's right. Um, is it Sergius Paulus that Paul's going to strike blind? I'm maybe missing.: the, the, the sorcerer
3: that serves Sergius Paulus.
1: Yeah, you know, that's right.
3: Yeah, because Sergius Paulus, the Roman proconsul uh, there at Papus, wanted to hear Paul and Barnabas, and actually summoned them. But there was a sorcerer, a Jewish sorcerer there, who had influence with him. He didn't want to lose his influence. And he starts blaspheming and opposing, like Paul. And Paul does for him what the Lord had done for Paul. Uh, he said, you will be blind for a season. Not forever, but for a season. And he went about finding someone to lead him by the hand. So, so many things are flipped right here. It's amazing. Uh, Anything further on this chapter before we talk about the particular point at which his sins are forgiven?
1: It is interesting here that the Lord knows that Paul is going to be made to suffer. Uh, When Jesus speaks to Ananias, uh, he says specifically in verse 16 of chapter nine, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. And uh, the Lord is going to lead Paul in such a way that he does suffer for the sake of his name, but he's going to sustain him through that suffering. Yes. And it's, it's not just to like make him pay for his own sins or something, but he's going to use him as an example and, is then going to use his example of suffering to comfort Christians who are suffering. Yes. Uh, he will talk about that in second Corinthians chapter one. Um, and, and you know, when he talks about uh, God comforts us in our suffering so that we can comfort others. So he uses Paul's suffering itself as a, a further comfort and a further gift to Christians. And here we are 2000 years later and which of us haven't benefited from Paul's example Right. And Jesus' support of him.
3: Right, right. And the example of his forgiveness. How many of us have heard somebody say, uh, and how many people in our audience might have sometimes either heard somebody say this or said it yourself? I don't think God could forgive me. After what I did, I don't think God could forgive me. Right. You hear you look me the same who God chose to use to be the apostle to the Gentiles here.
1: That's right. And Paul says that specifically in the text we began with today, you know, I received mercy for this reason that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example for those who believe Uh, God forgave Paul in part for our sake. So that he could hold him up and say, listen, if, if, if God can forgive Paul, he can forgive anybody. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to
3: pull up some charts in a minute here. So y'all go ahead while I find some charts.
0: Well, while you're looking for those charts, let me just repeat that it appears that uh, our YouTube channel connection today is going on and off on and off and uh apologize for that but we can't seem to overcome it um so i'm going to just put a plug in to go directly to biblequest.tv where you can just click on the tuesday program button and brought be brought right in live through the app which is the same thing but it's happening in real life time of coming in through the app but you can also comment on the uh, q a button in that app so If you haven't done it before, come on in through BibleQuest.tv and come in that way. So I apologize for the inconvenience on uh, YouTube today.
1: And if you're watching today and you would like to submit uh, further Bible questions, uh, we're always looking for more questions to be able to answer on the air. And we'd love to hear from you, both your comments, but also other Bible questions. If there's something in the program today that you'd like uh, to dig further into, we'd love to hear from you. Or if there's another Bible subject that uh, you'd like to hear us discuss, uh, please send us that. You can send that through the website. Um, you can leave it in the comments uh, here or on the YouTube broadcast uh, when it's working. <laughs> uh, uh, but we'd love to hear from you and be able to address your Bible questions.
0: We happen to have a Q&A while you're still getting your slides up uh, from the Q&A button um, from Randy. It says, when Jesus says that Paul was a chosen instrument of mind, this chosen, does Paul confirm this chosen in Galatians 1, 15 through 16? Yes. God set him apart from his mother's womb.
1: Yes. Yeah, that's right. You know, that's
0: a connection. And,
1: mm-hmm, yeah. And there are a few people like that in the Scripture, whether it's prophets in the Old Testament or Paul in the New Testament, where God has a specific purpose for their life and sees that they do what they uh, are called to do.
0: Thank you, Randy. Good good comment.
1: Yeah,
3: let's just mention a few of those. Jeremiah, chapter 1, had been chosen uh, from before his uh, birth. Mm-hmm. Uh, John the Baptist, uh, you remember in Luke chapter 1, his father receives a vision It says you're going to have a child, and he was going to be the forerunner for the Lord. Uh, he was chosen for that task. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's just side note here. Does that mean that Paul considered himself, well, since I was chosen for this from my mother's womb, I don't need to be concerned about whether or not I'm going to heaven because I've got it made. Uh, He was chosen for a job. The Lord called him to do it, and he did it, but that didn't remove Paul's own responsibility. Because what does Paul say about that at the end of 1 Corinthians chapter 9?
1: Yeah, there he uses the analogy of the ithspian games the kind of like the olympic games um and says that uh you know I, I need to run in such a way as to win we all do uh but he says there at the end of the chapter verse 27 but i discipline my body and keep it under control lest after preaching to others i myself should be disqualified so he says if I, if i'm not doing what god wants me to do i too can be disqualified
3: yeah, yeah. All right, let's turn now and take a look at when he gets the forgiveness of his sins. Uh, In Acts chapter 9, it doesn't mention uh, this is where Paul's sins were taken away. But if we start at verse 1, clearly he's lost. And then if we get down to verse uh, 20, 21, 22, when he's preaching Christ and he's been forgiven and he's... uh, a uh, baptized believer and disciple serving Lord. He's obviously saved. Where did that change? And I find it an interesting exercise to go through, and I'll ask you, at what point in here? So here are some of the things that happened. He asked for the letters. He sent. He went to Damascus. He got close to the city. He sees a light. Uh, he falls to the ground. He hears a voice. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He asks, who are you? And then the answer is, I am Jesus who you persecute?" Go into the city. It'll be told you what to do. Uh, He stands up. He can't see anything. He's led by the hand. For three days, he can't see. He doesn't eat. He doesn't drink for three days. Why would he not be eating or drinking?
1: I would lose my appetite if I had just gone through an experience like that as well. He's fasting and praying.
3: Yeah. And then the Lord says to Ananias, go to him because he's praying. The Lord hears Paul pray. Like he heard Cornelius, your alms and prayers have gone up as memorial towards God. Go to him; he's praying. He and uh, he goes to him. Uh, he lays hands on him. He's, he's his, he regains his sight. He gets up. He's baptized. He eats food. He's strengthened. He starts preaching Christ. Right. So, from chapter nine, there's plenty of other places in Scripture where we could figure this out. But if I'm just reading chapter nine. I've had people say, well, it was maybe when he saw the light, or when he heard the voice, or when he realized it was the Lord. But Paul is going to retell this in a later chapter, and we'll get a very specific information about when his sins were taken away. Which chapter is that? It's
1: over in Acts chapter 22.
3: Yeah, and he's retelling the same events. Verse 6, As it came to pass, as I made my journey and drew close to Damascus, around noon, Suddenly, there shone from heaven a great light round about me. And I heard a voice um, saying, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? I answered, who are you, Lord? And he answered, I am Jesus of Nazareth. Can you persecute, whom you persecute. And in verse 10, what shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said, arise and go to Damascus, and there will be told you of all, all the things which are appointed for you to do. When I could not see for the glory of that light being led by the hand of those that were with me, I came to Damascus. And in Acts 9 we get the point of view of Ananias coming to him. Here we have the point of view of Saul as Ananias comes to him. One Ananias devout an man according to the law, well reported of by all the Jews throughout there came to me. Standing by me said, Brother Saul, receive your sight." And in that very hour I looked upon by the way, I've had people use that verse to say that Paul's already a Christian because he called him brother of Saul. These are both Jews. What is what's, What term is used back and forth between Peter and the people on the day of
2: Pentecost? Brothers.
3: Yeah. he um, said, Brother Saul, receive your sight. In that very hour, I looked for him. And he said, the God of our fathers were in Acts 22, verse 14 the God of our fathers had appointed you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear a voice from his mouth. And now what's his job going to be in verse 15?
0: Be a witness uh, for him to everyone of what he has seen and heard.
3: Yeah. And, and he does that. Wherever Paul went, we don't have all the sermons, but he would have told people what happened. When he writes to the Galatians, he's able to say, you know my manner of life in time past. How I used to persecute Christians until the Lord called me. So he's going to be a witness of this. He's going to say to Corinthians, have I not seen the Lord? And then, what does Ananias say? Ananias say in verse 16.
1: And now, why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins calling on his name.
3: So up until this point, his sins were still there. Uh, does it mean God doesn't love him. Does it mean God doesn't have plans for him? No, but he needs his sins washed away. Uh, so when he saw the light, where were his sins? It's still on him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When he found out Jesus was alive, where were his sins? It's still on him. And for the first time, Paul became conscious of them. Because up to this point, he thought, I'm fine. And then he realizes, what a sinner I am. And while he's fasting, where were his sins? Still on him. And while he's praying for those three days, where are his sins? Still there. Yes. And I like the way you put it, Stephen. He, like, you tell a child, I'm, I'm going to give you a little bit of time to think about this. This is a huge adjustment. I, and, and, you know, if, if as soon as he'd been smitten blind, you know, if you just hate Jesus, you hate Jesus, you have devoted your life to stopping anybody from believing on him, and you hear, I am Jesus. Now get baptized. <laughs> you know, I'm not sure the heart. Be completely where it needs to be. At he needed a little time to process this, and Ananias now says, Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. Mm-hmm. Uh, let, let's just bring in, I want to focus in on just the beauty of this forgiveness but well, let's just think of some other passages that talk about the beauty of sins being forgiven from the old Testament. What are some of the beautiful images of describing
1: forgiveness of sin? I was just thinking about this. Psalm 103 is one of my favorite ones, uh, where in verse 10, this is Psalm 103 verse 10 it says, he does not deal with us according to our sins nor repay us according to our iniquities for as high as the heavens are above the earth. So great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him.
3: You're, in Zechariah 13, he talks about there's going to be a fountain of cleansing. Of course, made possible the blood of Christ that would be coming. Uh, Isaiah 53, all our sins, you know, were laid on him. Even know, we're the ones that need these things. He took the punishment for us. He bore them in our body. And in Isaiah, it says, though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. And in Acts 2.38, when the people realized the, the one they crucified was the Messiah, know this for sure, that God made a morning Christ, this Jesus, Jesus crucified. When they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said, what do we need to do? He said, repent and be baptized for the, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you know, and, it's,
1: interesting. You know it's interesting, Isaiah 1 says, they'll be as white as snow, and in Psalm 51, verse 7, after David another great example of God's forgiveness, like Paul. Uh, he says in verse 7, Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be not just as white as snow, but whiter than snow. Oh, I mean, freshly fallen snow, man. I mean, that's bright. <laughs> that's yeah. pure. And it says, whiter than snow.
3: Yeah. So if you're in the audience, and you're thinking about your life, and maybe you're thinking about, but all the terrible thing I did, or all the terrible things I've done. Oh, and could God ever use me? Look who God used. And but he needed to repent, and he needed to be baptized in the name of Jesus, and have his sins washed away through the blood of Jesus. And that message remains today. Me. Amen. That's a good note to close on. We are at the end of our
0: time period here guys. really appreciate uh, the scriptures and the comments and the and the, your discussion gentlemen and also from the audience. We want to invite you back again next week next Tuesday we start again at two and anyone that's listening to this on the podcast we know you people download this quite a few people download the podcast after it's been uh, posted so we're welcoming you also if you ever have an opportunity to ask a question to go to biblequest.tv put your question in and we'll discuss your comments your questions as they come into us we're very we look forward to to hearing from all of you guys anything else before we
3: close it out
1: we're good
0: thanks guys have sure. a good
3: one